0: explorers. I'm Pam Ricchia, and this is episode number 159 of the podcast. It's the 16th of January 2019 as I record this intro. And you may have noticed this ear. This is Burton, Lucy's doggy. He's hanging out with me today. <laughs> um I want to let you know my guest this week is Max Vernoy. Max grew up on schooling and I had the pleasure of seeing him him in action at various unschooling camps over the years. Um, We talk about the ebb and flow of his interests through the years, his time mentoring at an unschooling camp, uh, how the journey of following his passions led him to the fulfilling career that he has now. So I think it's a great story and you'll enjoy hearing from him. Uh, As a personal update, I'm really excited to be working on my next book. The idea has been rolling around in my mind for like the past six months or so, and I officially started putting words together yesterday. In between projects, I tend to forget how much I love the process of writing, you know, the puzzle of it all, of putting it together. So now I am all energized again. Uh, I also came across a blog post this week that I wanted to mention to you. Natasha Alanzaki has been on the podcast pretty recently, actually, episode number 143, um, and she published a post the other day titled, Technology, Trust Over Fear, and I will put a link to it in the show notes, but I wanted to read a quote from it. My daughter moves between and within her interests, all with peace and ease. I see how she weaves in and out of playing piano, dancing, painting, or playing with LPS back into watching videos or a favorite show, and how it all interweaves within each other, creating a landscape of creativity. This kind of creative flowing rhythm is not possible if I interfere by telling her she needs to stop doing one thing to move on to another, another being what I think is a better use of time or a better conduit of knowledge and education. How could I know that though? How could I possibly know exactly what is being learned while she watches a video or plays Minecraft or builds a set for her LPSs and then records a short film? I can't know. I can though observe over time how she integrates new ideas, inspiration, and knowledge. I can though see how she is learning how to read and write while having fun playing and flowing through her days. The compass that guides her from within her heart and mind is like a beautiful dance, every day being stretched and grown stronger and stronger. So I just love that and the beautiful picture in my mind of her daughter's creative flow. And I was struck by how it ties into my conversation with Max, actually. On the podcast, Natasha mentions that her daughter is six and Max is in his 20s and he grew up unschooling. So we're kind of snapshotting both ends of the growing up unschooling journey here. So if you remember, try to bring to mind Natasha's observations when Max and I are chatting about his journey through his passions to where he is now. I think you too might be struck by the connections around the immense value of that trust in the moment of not knowing, but trusting. And before we go, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work like this podcast and my website through Patreon. I deeply, deeply appreciate all my patrons because their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's get to my conversation with Max. Welcome, I'm Pam Ricchia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Max Bernoy. Hi Max! Hi, Pam. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Recovering. (laughs) Yes, recovering. Yeah. Um, Just to give everybody a little bit of intro, I've known Max's family for many years online and through unschooling gatherings, and I am so happy that he agreed to chat with me about his experience growing up unschooling. So to get us started, Max, can you share with us a bit about you and your family?
1: Well, I live in Delaware with my mom, dad, brother, and sister. And we lived here pretty much my whole life. Um, I was born in Pennsylvania, like 30 minutes away, but pretty much the same area my whole life. And I've grown up unschooling my whole life, too. My parents are both very... um, What's what I'm looking for? They were very schooly growing up. Mm -hmm. They went to school as kids. They went to college. They went to graduate school. um, And they intended to have their kids go to school, too. Probably just because they didn't know any better, Mm -hmm. Um, but very quickly they realized that wasn't going to work out with my older sister, so they took her out and tried to homeschool her, which eventually kind of morphed into unschooling, and then when I reached the age for school, they asked me if I wanted to go to school, and I said, no, (laughs) I want to go to school. (laughs) So they just kept me out of school, too, and since then, I've been unschooled my whole life.
0: That's awesome. Do you remember um, why it was that you didn't want to go to school? Like when you were younger? I don't know if you can remember that far back.
1: When I was young, I was incredibly shy. I was very attached to mom. So leaving her was kind of the the biggest thing. Um, And when I grew older, my family gave me the choice. Hey, do you want to go to school? It's something you can transition into with something we can help you with. Are you interested? Um, and at that point, I just didn't really have any desire to do school topics. They didn't interest me. They sounded boring. They sound like work. They sound like something I would have trouble with. So I just kind of left it.
0: That leads very nicely into the next question then. So as you were growing up on schooling, what were some of your interests and how did you pursue them?
1: I've always been a huge fan of games in general. To the point where, when I was too young to even operate a computer, I would point at the screen and my mom would click for me where I would want to go. She would have one hand on her mouse playing solitaire and the other hand on my mouse clicking where I pointed.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that.
1: And as I grew up, I played more and more video games, more and more active games, and then as I got even older, more board games as well. So that's something I've always been interested in.
0: So, what is it? that you found attractive about those games?
1: Um, Good question. I think it was just something for me to kind of explore and play around with. It it was a great test of my mental capabilities, I think. Um, Other activities and other passions that I enjoyed growing up. Um, Randomly, I was inspired to learn how to juggle, and I tried to teach myself how to juggle, and it didn't go so well. It took me like (laughs) three months trying to teach myself and just dropping things over and over. <laughs> and eventually I actually got a book on how to how to juggle and I, I read that and um, I just kind of experimented on my own with that as well. And eventually I learned how to juggle and then later unicycle as well.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> so now
1: one of my favorite things to do is to teach people how to juggle.
0: Sweet. Yeah. I remember, I remember after one of the gatherings, Michael coming home and, and picking up some uh, balls for himself for juggling too. (laughs) Uh, So you also became um, quite interested in karate. So I was interested to hear how that passion for karate developed, like what it was that caught your interest with it and how that interest kind of grew over the years.
1: Good question how I first got into karate. Um, when I was a kid, I was interested in the idea of ninjas. That might have been why. Of course. <laughs> um, but joining into karate, of course, everyone's interested in ninjas at, at that age. <clears throat> um, but when I first started karate, it was actually not something I was really ready for. I, wasn't, I didn't really have the attention span for it. Um, and I had tried it multiple times before I finally got into it for real and stuck with it. Um, and eventually when I was about 13, I got my black belt. A couple of years later, I, I quit. I decided, and eh, this isn't really something I'm not interested in anymore. I was doing soccer at the same time as well. And it was a lot to manage both at the same time. So I dropped out of karate and it wasn't until a couple of years later, my mom actually continued taking karate without me. She started a little bit before me and continued after I quit. Um, and she encouraged me to come back for a class, and I jumped back in, and I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty fun. And then I stuck with it, and I started coming more and more in class, and that eventually uh, evolved into a full-time job. But I think we'll get to that later.
0: <laughs> I love hearing how um you went in and out and in and out of it over the years, because I think that's something parents can get worried about, you know, after they've seen their child um, Commit, or you even feeling like, oh, I wish that they liked something, and feeling like that that quitting part is like a big a big deal, and worrying that oh, then they'll never get back to it. Oh, they spent all that time learning, and then they left, etc. But it it really is um, cool for it to be just a part of your life, right? Because no decisions and choices that we make are forever, right? You can yeah. try something out and not fit, but if you don't make a big deal about it. It's like still there in the back of your mind and you can always jump back in when it fits better. Is, is that kind of how it flowed for you?
1: Definitely. I, I definitely enjoyed the freedom to kind of make those decisions on my own. My parents asked me, Hey, you don't want to do to Karate these days. Is this something you want to continue with? And I'm like, eh, not really. And they're like, okay, then we'll, we'll drop out.
0: You know what I love about karate too? Because I mean, I spent a lot of years with Michael in the dojo, right? And I love the idea. Karate is such a great example of of age kind of being irrelevant, right? There's a lot of white mm-hmm. adult white belts. Like you said, your mom was into it and, and had started training, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's a great place um, to be able to um, go in and out and to move at your own pace and to to learn really how you do like, I know there, I guess it certainly depends on the dojo too. That was another thing I'd said to Michael when we started, it was, you know what, if you're interested in karate and you don't like um, going, We he went, tried out a class or two. I said, if it doesn't feel like a good fit, that doesn't mean maybe that you don't like karate. Maybe what it means is that particular dojo, that particular style, you know, the, the, um, particular sensei, uh, just isn't a good fit for you so that you can go try other things. So I really love the way it's individualized in that, like a person can go in and get involved as much and go once a week, twice a week, four times a week, progress in the way that works for them. Is that, is that true? <laughs> That's my mm-hmm. experience. Is that how you got, you saw it as well?
1: Yeah, definitely. We see a lot of people in my karate studio now from all different phases in their life, Mm -hmm. um, some of which who are working full time, some of which who are students, a lot of kids, obviously, um, but everybody's kind of free to learn and grow at their own pace. And that journey is very different for different people. And I think it's cool to have that freedom to do it as you please.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, and that leads, leads nicely into this question, because I think diving into any passion like that helps us learn so much about ourselves. And like you said, it can be such an individual journey. Um, for each other. But I think diving into something there, I mean, there's the piece where you're learning all about karate, right? And that's awesome. You're learning um, the topic of what you're interested in. But I think Mm -hmm. you're also learning so much about yourself. There's so much self-awareness developing, like figuring out how much you like it, how much you want to go pulling in and out and seeing how that feels. And, and, you know, Do you want to do extra time training at home? Like, there's just so much you learn about yourself as you go through the process, I think. Was that what you found?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to sidetrack away from karate for a little bit. When I was a teenager, I played a lot of this online game called Final Fantasy XI. And that was a huge part of my life to the point where I played it pretty much like a part-time job. Um, and I got very involved with the end game, the highest level of content in the game. <clears throat> and eventually grew to become a leader of the link show in that game, which is basically the guild system similar to World of Warcraft and other games have. Um, and leading that group and organizing these events and planning times for them and running and managing people, all those were skills that I didn't really think about as I was going through it. Um, and all the things I ended up doing in that game as a leader ended up transferring very nicely into my role as a karate instructor now. Um, and those were skills that I didn't, again, didn't think about at the time, but that really shaped and let me become who I wanted to be. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be in charge and I wanted to run things. Um, and that was a great way to kind of see how that developed.
0: That That's a great example. Thanks, Max, because... You know, people are always worried about video games, et cetera. But all these skills that we develop pursuing any passion, right? There's so much of that self-development and that self-awareness. Um, all those skills and and understanding that we develop is really applicable no matter where we go, right? That's something we learn and we take with us moving forward no matter where we go, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. I love I love that example, and I've heard from from a few guests too. And I know from my own experience here that those kinds of skills being involved, you people worry so much about the difference between um, virtual and real world, you know. But you're still engaging with people. These are real people that you're you're figuring stuff out Mm -hmm. with, that you're managing, that you're engaging with. You know, just because it's literally not face to face, I I really don't see, haven't seen a huge difference. Like I use, I've used the example before how um, Joseph managing relationships and that just the kind of stuff that you're talking about online and my daughter being more, less, less interested in games and more, you know, girl guides, um, volunteering, all the kind of stuff she was doing out in the community. But the conversations we were having about those relationships and what was going on and the challenges they were encountering those conversations were very similar. We were talking about the same things. They were mm-hmm. just in different environments. I thought that was so cool. Okay, so let's dive into your karate instruction work that wasn't very well said. (laughs) You're working full time (laughs) as a karate instructor right now. (laughs) So I would love, and you alluded to how some of that, those skills that you developed were transferable to becoming an instructor. So I'd just like to hear a little bit more of how you kind of uh, decided that you wanted to move forward with that as you were going in and out of, of karate as an interest.
1: So when I came back to karate as a teenager at this point, I was probably about 17 or 18 years old. I think I started helping out with classes as well. I would just stay late after my class to get it there early, and I would just hold targets or um, you know be the lead of a line for the kids, demonstrate a technique, little little things and as I started doing that more and more, I started to enjoy it more and more and I would start to show up more and more to the point where I was coming five or six days a week taking five or six classes a week and then teaching even more than that <laughs> um and I would just ask hey can I come for this class can I come with this class and my instructor of course is like yeah sure you can come as much as you want so I got to the point where eventually my instructor offers me a job and that's when I realized that I can get paid to teach karate <laughs> that was like the defining moment of my life my mind was blown <laughs> I can get paid to teach people karate this is amazing <laughs> um and leading up to it it sounds kind of kind of odd, but I really had no image in my mind of ever doing this as a profession. I didn't ever consider it, even though I was spending so much of my time with it. Um, So I got hired, and I actually got moved to a different karate studio that was run by the same guy because they need more help there. Um, And I learned a whole lot from a lot of different people about how to run a karate studio and how to be a teacher. And eventually I moved back to the karate studio I'm working at now. And my boss at the time, who was managing the karate studio, eventually bought the studio from the old owner. So I've seen a lot of the process of the behind-the-scenes, how to run a business, um, how to start a business, how to maintain a business, and all that behind-the-scenes stuff has been a huge benefit, I think.
0: It's fascinating. But again, a
1: lot of Yeah, it's really interesting seeing this stuff from the other side. Um, but again, all these skills that I learned you know, growing up, even just organizing games at my local park day, working with other kids and trying to decide what game we we're going to do, all these skills of running and managing people transfer beautifully into any work environment, but particularly this kind of work environment where we can be very creative with our event planning, how we run the classes, um, how we work with our other helpers and assistant instructors. All these are things that I I was prepared for, and I had a knack for pretty early on, just because I'd done it before in the online world as a as a gamer.
0: Okay, so you know what I find so fascinating about that, you can see all those connections um, when you look back, right? At the time, like you said, when you were gaming, you didn't, you know, you weren't thinking, oh, this is going to get me this skill and this skill. You were just enjoying it. And it's like, I like doing this. I'm going to do more of this, right? Same with, you know, when you were teaching juggling, showing people how to juggle at unschooling camps, organizing games at park day, you were doing those things because you really enjoyed doing them. I bet there were lots of kids who didn't enjoy the, or they enjoyed playing them and everything but they weren't drawn to the organizing piece or showing people how to juggle, you know, all those little bits. Giving you the freedom to just do the things that you're drawn to doing, that you're interested in doing, gave you that whole skill set. Because, you know, people's interests, the things that they're naturally drawn to that they enjoy doing, aren't likely to... I'm trying to change in a huge, like, I mean, teaching juggling and teaching karate. You would think, oh, those are very different things. You know what I mean? But really, mm-hmm. those base skills and the things that, that, that drew you to doing each of these things right? The love of, you know, showing other people how to do things, the, the leadership piece, the helping them um, figure things out. Those are the things that are common in all those things. And if somebody had jumped in and stopped you, you know, not giving you the freedom to pursue things, even though it's like, you know, why? <laughs> why is he drawn to that? Why is he playing, you know, video games so long? You know, there's so many ways that we can worry about those interim steps because we don't know where they're going, but giving people the freedom to pursue the things that they're attracted to, I mean, look where, look where it takes you later on. It, it, the puzzle fits together, but only when you're looking back, I think is what I'm trying to say. And the value yeah. of having that freedom to choose over the years actually built you this, this um, plethora of skills that fit so beautifully with what you're doing now that right. (laughs) I just had this big aha moment. (laughs) Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's very easy to not be able to see what's ahead of you. But looking back, it kind of makes sense where how I got from here to here from this point to that point.
0: Yeah. And I think then I guess the other thing I always tell parents is is the challenge of Not creating expectations, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Oh, my kid's really interested in karate. He's 13 years old, and oh my gosh, he's going to own his own dojo someday or his own studio someday, (laughs) you know. Not putting that on because we don't know. That's just through our eyes, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know what it is that the child's getting out of it. It could be a totally obscure skill, but he's meeting that interest through you know, through that particular um, topic, you know, maybe he's getting something completely different out of karate. Maybe he's loving anatomy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and the body training and, and that kind of stuff is what he's, he's going to bring forward with them, but you can't know in that moment. But when you let them follow what they're interested in, they're getting something. You can trust that they're getting something out of it while they're interested and and engaged in it. Does that make sense? Definitely. (laughs) Now, speaking of transferable things, uh, you've also been a mentor and continue to be a mentor at um, the East Tennessee Unschooled Summer Camp, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. What drew you to that? Is that I don't know. Now that seems to be all part of this mentoring and, and helping <laughs> other people, figuring things out, supporting them. Do, do you feel that kind of ties together? What What excites you about oh, doing yeah.
1: that? So I first got involved as a mentor. I, I was first interested in going to the camp as a teenager, but it never kind of worked out with everything else I was doing. I was going to a lot of other unschooling conferences at the time. I still am. But um, that was kind of one of the factors. It's like, can I really take this much time to go here, here and here. Um, so it never really worked out. Also there was the cost of it and the travel time of it, it's all the way in East Tennessee, which is like a 10hour drive for me, which is kind of a pain. Um, so it never really worked out until I became old enough to be a mentor. so then I applied for that position um, just because I like being in charge. And like you said, I like helping people and guiding people. Um, through their journey, as well as you know, learning from myself, but also helping other people through whatever they're trying to get through. So one of the cool things about being a mentor is at the East Tennessee Unschooling Summer Camp, it's a summer camp just for teens. And I think a lot of teens are in a stage in their life where they need to kind of experiment and play around with who they want to be. And to be able to do that in an environment like the East Tennessee Unschooling Summer Camp, where you have those role models, those mentors to help you out, but not really get in the way as much as your traditional summer camp with adults telling the kids what to do. Um, I think it's valuable to have a more self-guided journey at a summer camp where you can just kind of feel around and figure out who you want to be, what you want to be interested in, what kind of friends you want to make, um, but again, still an environment where you have those role models who are going to show you how to act and how to behave without getting in any trouble, without doing anything destructive with your time. Um, and also just being there if you ever run into trouble or if you're ever going through anything emotionally or uh, socially with other people. It's nice to have those mentors there to kind of guide you through everything. So I think it's just a really cool environment at the East Tennessee Unschool Summer Camp.
0: Yeah. So you've enjoyed your time there? Oh,
1: yeah. Every year I'm like, this is such a hassle. It's like a week and a a few days they have to take off work. It's like, (laughs) like I said, a 10 hour drive. I'm doing it all by myself. So I've got to do it in chunks sometimes, stay at a hotel on the way there. So it's just a huge time commitment. I'm like, do I really want to go through that? And then every year after I get home from it, I'm like, I want to do that again next year. (laughs) I don't care what I think eight months from now when I have to make this decision again. But right now I want to go again next year.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> so last question. As a grown unschooler now with years of unschooling under your belt, what piece of advice would you like to share with unschooling parents who are just kind of starting out on this journey? Maybe they've got young kids or maybe their kids are a little bit older, but they are just discovered it. They're just diving into it. What advice would you give to them?
1: I think giving your kids the choice, the, the option to make choices in their own life is a huge benefit to them, including allowing your kids to make the wrong decision, because I think making the wrong decision can be a huge benefit to growing your character and to learn about yourself. And I think a lot of parents get too caught up forcing their kids to make the right decisions, that their kids don't even learn how to make decisions. And I, I think there's that. a big difference between, you can still be there as a parent to help guide your child. You can give them advice, give them feedback, help them through whatever decision they make, and then be there to catch them if they do fall down, but let them make that decision for themselves, I think is a huge benefit.
0: Yeah, I think if parents can get be so caught up Like from the way we were raised and and most of us went to school, failure, in quotes, is such a big thing, right, to avoid. It's like, oh, my God. And so we want to try and save everybody we know. I mean, our kids, our spouse, you know, everybody. It's like, no, no, I I know what's right. That's not going to work out, right? But it's so true. That's something I learned um, from watching my kids Um, and, and I used to just be so amazed, like they, they'd make a choice, they'd want to do it and it wouldn't work out the way that they were hoping. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't the end of the world. Like I'd be totally, you know, in shame and embarrassed and judging myself for having made the wrong choice in that moment because I didn't get what I wanted out of it. But no, they, they, they just learned from it. And there's, they just, like, got right back up. and was like, oh, hey, oh, oops, that didn't work. I'm going to try this. So try this. And I think that was something that I learned um, from my kids so much and how valuable it was to just be able to make the choice. Because, I mean, you're always making the the best choice for yourself in that moment, right? I mean, you're not thinking, oh, well, this would be – this thing has the best chance of working out, but I'm going to choose something different. Typically, yeah. no. <laughs> But but yeah, what do you learn? You learn, oh, I was missing this piece of information or I didn't understand how big that impact was going to be. Like there's a million things and like you said, you learn so much from it. And having your parents around to help you just process that, figure out what it is that didn't work out as as you expected, etc. There's just so much learning again about ourselves and about The situation and about how to make choices, right? Oh, I didn't consider this, or I didn't Mm -hmm. consider that. There's just so much in there. I love that. (laughs) Now, is there anything else from your unschooling experience that I didn't ask you about that you think would be helpful for people trying to understand? Like, I know so often they enjoy um, hearing from. Grown unschoolers, right? Because they they're choosing this lifestyle, but you know their their kids are younger and they don't they don't know how it's going to turn out. And I think that's something that they really enjoyed. So, was there another piece of your unschooling lifestyle over the years growing up that you thought was really important for you?
1: I think just being respected makes a big difference. If you want to if you want to uh, if you want to raise a kid to be respectful, respecting them is the best way to do it.
0: That makes sense too, right? It's not when you think about it. Because
1: it it it's sounds so obvious we,
0: when you think about when it. You think, I know, right? <laughs> it seems obvious, but so we, we grew, grow up being taught that, you know, you just automat- you respect your parents, like, automatically. That's just something that parents should expect of their children rather than earning it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and by showing that respect to them and treating them as a, as a, as a real person, as a human being, that's what helps them understand what that means. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost so self-evident. It's hard to explain. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Again, thinking about it, it's kind of obvious, but in every single little moment, it's hard to think and remember to be kind and respectful with everything you do, because life is hard. Mm -hmm. Life is full of various things that you have to deal with, especially as a parent raising children. There's a million things you have to worry about. And sometimes being respectful to your kid is not one of those things that you think about, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You just want to get through the moment, right? but that time that you spend working with them and engaging with them through the moment, there's just so much value in that, isn't there? There's so much learning, not only for the child, but for the parent too, just as people figuring things out together. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Max. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun. (laughs)
0: Yay, it was wonderful. Before we go, if someone would like to connect with you online, uh, where would be the best place to do that?
1: You can find me on Facebook. My name is Max Fenoy. I don't think there's very many Max Fenoy's on Facebook, so it <laughs> shouldn't be too hard to find.
0: <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Max. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also enjoy the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out my book, The Unschooling Journey, A Field Guide. Inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey Framework, the book is a weave of myths, contemporary stories, and tales from my own journey. It's not a how-to book. No two paths through the world of unschooling have the same twists and turns. Yet, having a general sense of where you are on your journey can bring valuable insight as you navigate the challenges that will inevitably appear. Remember, you are the hero of your story.